black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How's your week been? It's been, I guess, pretty good. I mean, um, Harrison started sleeping in his own bed this week. Pray our strength. And that meant that mommy had to blow up a king-size air mattress and sleep in the room besides his house bed so that he can actually fall asleep. And then he woke up last night at 3 in the morning and wanted me to scoot over. And then about 30 minutes later, he turns and says, can I go get in the bed with Granny Lisa? <laughs> so, of course, I let him go get in the bed with Granny Lisa, and then I went and got in my own bed. But we are trying this start Harrison out, and let's see how long he will sleep in his own bed this week. So, pray for us. And, um, of course, the job is the job. I do actually really like Atlanta, though. Like, a lot better than Houston. So, I do appreciate the sense of community that's here. So I do like it a lot better here. I joined the church here now and I'm not church hopping anymore or paying my tithes long distance. I'm actually local. So I'm just slowly but surely transitioning everything that I do from Houston and beyond to Atlanta. So I'm in a state of transition still, but you know, it's it's all good. How's your week been? Okay, no, 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 no. Let's go back real quick. Rewind. Ooh. Okay, so Harrison is sleeping in his own bed now. So was he sleeping in his own bed before and he just wasn't sleep hasn't been sleeping in his own bed since you all moved or does he just not like sleeping in his own bed? So once Harrison hit 6 months, we put him in his own crib and he used to sleep there pretty much throughout the night until homeboy got to the point where he can crawl out of the crib, right? He just climb up out of there. So that took once he started walking, he could pretty much climb out. For the most part. So a year and a half, he was like climbing out and just like showing up in our rooms. And so at two o'clock in the morning, we just have this like little creature beside the bed. You're like, oh my God, oh, oh, he's here, right? Before that, he would whine and cry and we would go in there and pick him up and then put him back down and put him to sleep and put him back in his own bed. So we'd be back and forth in there throughout the night. Once he got to the point where he started climbing out of the bed and getting in the bed with us, he would he would always start in his own bed, but he would just end up in bed with us. Then once we moved here, he might have slept in his own bed like a couple of times, but he always, even if he fell asleep and we put him in the bed, he always ended up either in our bed or Grand Lisa's bed. So we had a conversation with him over the weekend and said, hey, you're almost four. It's time for you to act, stay in your bed throughout the night. You cannot come and get anybody else's bed. Not Grand Lisa's, not mommy's. You cannot get in anybody's bed. So it's been um, a work in progress. We usually start out this way and then we, you know, it's, it's tiring, right? So if somebody, kid cuts out of the bed at two in the morning, it's just much easier for you to just put them in the bed with you than to be the person to encourage them 
to go back to their own bed, especially if they're going to want you to sleep in their room with them. You know, Harrison has a house bed. Like, I can't climb my big old self in that house, you know? <laughs> so then I'm like blowing up an air mattress to sleep beside him so that he's comfortable. So, so far he's been really excited about sleeping in his own bed now. So he's like, oh, I'm ready to go to the room. Are you ready to go to the room with me? You know? I'm like, oh, sure. Uh, yay. Let's go to bed. Right. Let me get on the air mattress. It is a king size air mattress. So that's good. I have plenty of sheets and blankets and pillows. Just try to make it as comfy as you possibly can. But you know, air mattress is just not, no matter what you put on it, the padding you put on it, it does not take a place of a mattress, especially not a memory foam mattress. Like it's just not taking that place. So, um, yeah, I'll be glad when I don't have to start out in an air mattress beside him and sneak tiptoe away. But yeah, we shall see. Well, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of Harrison. And hopefully soon he'll be like, oh, okay, I can just go in my room by myself. So tell me about this church girl. So we joined um, Pleasant Grove Baptist Church. We really like the church. The only thing I don't like about it is that since the pandemic, they haven't brought back their children's ministry full time. So, you know, for Easter, they have like an Easter egg hunt and a fish fry and stuff like that. But Harrison is used to going to children's church. So my mom was visiting this really small church. And so he likes the teacher, the children's church teacher there. So he's always asking to go see Miss B. But Miss B is not at our church. And that church is like 30, 40 minutes away. And our church that we go to now is like seven minutes from the house. So guess what? We are going to bring our snacks and bring our iPad if we need to so that he can put his headphones on and make sure he is sitting quietly because we are not driving 30, 45 minutes across town. But uh, but we love the church. I love the church. They're supposed to be bringing back the children's ministry soon now that you know the mask mandates are over and they've signed the ending of the COVID pandemic. Although I had two patients yesterday that, not yesterday, today, that were COVID positive that we had to mask up and N95 mask up for. But uh, but yeah, I like it. It's it's cool. The, the pastor's young, um, so it's nice. It's very nice, actually. So what have you been up to this week? Um, let me think. So I saw you, everyone. This is the second time I've seen Nicole, <laughs> literally since we started this podcast. I mean, I see her on Riverside, which is the platform that we use so that we can talk to each other for the podcast. But like in person, like actually live and in the flesh, this is the second time that I saw Nicole. So I was in Atlanta, as you know, for a conference. So I got to see you. So yay. So I was in Atlanta, what, Thursday through Sunday morning. I got there crack of dawn Thursday morning and I left the crack of dawn Sunday morning. I came back, went to work. And then yesterday was my mentor's birthday, Cheryl Jackson. And Cheryl is actually the reason why I am even doing any of this. There's Cheryl's kind of the reason why a lot of stuff in life happens. So Cheryl was the person who gave me my first start in radio ever when I was in high school. And then I went into, like I continued on with radio and ended up going into events and marketing from radio, which is how I have my job now. And then also how I met my husband. And yeah, a there's a lot. So yeah, shout out to Cheryl. Yesterday was her birthday. So celebrated her birthday, went to work, took a nap, got up, started it all over again this morning. So yeah, it's been busy, but it was fun. It was great. You know, I guess that did that did include this week. So yes, Janine made time for me in her uber busy schedule. Let me tell you, Janine is one of the only people I know that's like jet, jet setting and yeah, I need to be in Atlanta for this event on 
all day Thursday. And then I need to be back in DC early Sunday morning for another event. So she gets here Thursday. Of course, she has something to do. She stays up all night long and we meet. They're like dog tired, drinking coffee in the middle of the night. And I'm like thinking to myself, if this were me, I'd probably call and canceled on her because there's no way I can make it. But no, 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 not Janine. She's going to make her schedule work. And then Friday, she has an event. And then Saturday, she has an event. And then, oh no, Sunday, she's going to fly out and take a red eye back to DC. Why? Because she has an event and church on Sunday. Okay. So, hmm, I don't know anybody that stretches themselves that thin. I used to stretch myself, but I've never stretched myself thin like that. Like <laughs> she stretches herself thin, like, you know, when they say thin like mayonnaise, and if that was a person, that would probably be Janine. Oh, uh, y'all. I'm just, I, look, I, I enjoy what I do. I will say that. I enjoy events, but I do have, admit, Nicole, tell the people I have giant bags and a razz right now because I am very dog tired. But yeah, I did fly out and fly back in. But y'all don't let Nicole fool you. Nicole will take a red eye and fly and go work and then come back and then come back. And what are they called? Locums? Go do locums and then come back and take care of patients here. So don't let her fool you that she doesn't do the exact same thing. I just happen to do events. So I do events in different places and then go back. And Nicole does the same thing. So she will stretch herself then too. And please let me remind you, Nicole is a doctor and she also operates occasionally. So y'all, y'all know how doctor schedules are just so y'all know they are professional stay awakers. I don't even know what that's called, but yeah, they stay awake professionally. So, and they have your life in their hands. So Nicole has mastered this. I'm just catching up to Nicole, y'all, just so you all know. Mm-mm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Listen, I used to do that kind of stuff, like stay up all night, do call all night and be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go cover for you in like Kentucky. I'm gonna fly in and be taking phone calls on the plane. Yeah, no, uh-uh, not anymore. Listen, I'm, I've aged. I've, I've slowed down a little bit in my, in my age. I don't do that. And you know how they say there's somebody for everybody? Yeah, I mean, Ken's right there with her, like has all these random events lined up and all these meetings. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, they, they, they fit. They fit pretty well. Like they're the same level of busy, which is sort of kind of ridiculous. But I love y'all. Thanks for producing this. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole, literally, Kim was like, oh, I'm going to go to this golf tournament and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And he was like, oh, and I set up a meeting with the, what was it, the accountant or the attorney, one of them. And I was like, okay. And then he was like, oh yeah. And by the way, we have to stop by this restaurant because we're talking about doing business with them. And I was like, whoa, what? So there were a couple of occasions, just so to be fair, there were a couple of occasions throughout the weekend where I was grumpy and I was like, you know, I had to have some self-talk that turned into negative relationship talk because I was like, look, I'm tired and I just want to nap and I, and I don't feel good. And it was just like, you know, I had my moments of meltdown and then I would get myself back together. Like, okay, where are we going now? Who am I talking to? What is this for? Like, how do we know them? Give me the like briefing in the car as we go. But everything was pretty successful, but we didn't forget about y'all. We hope y'all didn't forget about us. We hope that you all liked rated, reviewed. And you guys, uh, make sure you share with your friends. And we do like when you guys tag us and tell us to talk about something. So, you know, shout out to the friend that tagged us on the uh, episode that we covered last week, because that makes our life easier. <laughs> we know exactly what we're going to talk about. Like, Johnny's like, listen, our friend tagged us, so we're going to talk about this this week. So, 
go ahead and tag us and share us with your friends. All right, Johnny. So what's on our timeline this week? Okay, Nicole. Freaknik. The infamous Freaknik is on our timeline this week. Okay, now, we didn't get tagged in this one, but it did get text to us. And there's a lot of like nuance in this for us. I mean, it's crazy. I'm just going to get into it. Freaknik started in 1983 and it's a little bit confusing because I saw some things that said 82, 83. So right around the time when uh, we decided to grace the earth with our presence, Nicole, that's when Freaknik started. You know, everything good came around that time. And it started off as a picnic for spring break near like Atlanta University Center. So for y'all that don't know about Atlanta University Center, that's where like Spelman, Clark Atlanta, Morehouse, you know, all those. I think Morris Brown is in that area as well. All those schools are right there in that little quad. So when you really think about it, it was like the like, I don't know, the mecca of HBCUs at the time, right? It was sponsored by the D.C. Metro Club, which were a group of students from D.C., like the D.C. area. And it was sponsored for students who couldn't afford to, like, go home on spring break. So it was kind of cute, right? Like, hey, you can't go home for spring break. So, like, come on over here and party with us. That's how it started, y'all. Now, what started off as a picnic, a little get together for these HBCU students turned into the ATL's most infamous what they call street party. Now, y'all. Please, if you live under a rock, just go do yourself a favor and Google it, okay? Janine is not going to do this justice. And I'm just going to say I, there is no justice that I could even do this or anyone could do of this. Go Google it. Go watch the watch all of the things. See what it is for yourself. So, y'all, it started off as like a little picnic. Like, hey, hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. We about to get together with our other friends from, you know, school because we're not about to go home. So we're going to have a picnic. That's how it started. And what you Google as coined by Atlanta Magazine as the most infamous street party, you will see how different it became. Okay, so while it was a little wild, y'all, it really was a cultural phenomenon. Like, if we're being honest, it was a, just a shift in the culture in general, right? Like, that's when a lot of people started coming to Atlanta. Atlanta wasn't always what it is, right? D.C. used to be Chocolate City. Atlanta became Chocolate City. And I'm pretty sure that this had a lot to do with it. So this cultural phenomenon lasted until about 1999. And that's when the police started complaining and government officials were talking about how rowdy it became and how the city wasn't able to function. So in 1999, it was over. In 2019, they actually tried to revive it and they had like a one day small scale festival style concert and then they had some like community service that was centered around it. it was it was a little cutesy little thing but it wasn't anywhere near what the like street fair party that freaknik was it was supposed to grow in 2020 and it was supposed to be like a larger format a three day kind of concert but we all know that the pandemic kind of canceled the world at that point so that didn't happen so last week nicole Hulu announced that they are going to be releasing the Freaknik documentary. And the title of it is Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told. There were some trailers that kind of drop, right? There were some things that kind of give you an indication as to what was supposed to be in this documentary. It's a few parts. The trailer and the little bits and pieces that they dropped told us that basically this documentary is going to take us through the evolution of Freaknik, right? It takes you from the humble beginnings of the cutesy little picnic of the HBCU students, um, takes you to the transition from, you know, 
picnic to cultural phenomenon. And it takes us from Freaknik's peak to when things started to become a little rowdy and unruly. And then it takes us to the, the end of the era, right? I would like to believe that with executive producers, Jermaine Dupree and Uncle Luke, that this is pretty much as authentic as we're about to get about Freaknik. If we're being honest, right? Like they were pretty much the it men at that point. So I think that this documentary by way of like authenticity is probably about as good as you're getting. It talks, you know, about a pivotal piece of our story, I believe. I feel like it's cultural. I feel like it talks to the HBCU experience. I feel like it talks to the music. I feel like it just kind of is, it gives you this idea of the festival style, cultural, like magic that was happening back then. And it also, I think, probably goes into like some of the darker side. But again, it really probably, based on what I've seen, captures the essence of Freaknik 40 years later. But after Hulu announced that they were releasing this documentary, literally, it was all over social media. Couple of things. There was a sentiment about, oh my goodness, let me see if I can look at any of the footage to see if I can find myself. Some people were like, oh, your aunties are going to be in this footage. People that are closer to our age, Nicole, were like, oh, let's go check to make sure we're not the old aunties that are in the footage. And then some people were like, wait a second, there's this weird culture that was centered around this and how the men were treating the women. There was a bunch of weirdness going on. Maybe the men should be a little bit worried about what's coming out. Nonetheless, a lot of people were up in arms trying to figure out if this is something they wanted to be released, if they felt like they were probably caught on film. Was it something everyone was chattering about what is going to happen when this gets released? Who was caught on film? Who was caught doing things they weren't supposed to be doing? Who might be embarrassed about the things that they did back 40 years ago? All of that dialogue was happening on social media. Most of it was geared around women. And talking about how their behavior was poorly reflecting them. But there was also, like I said, this dialogue around men and some of the like, I mean, if we're being honest, rapist type behavior that they were exhibiting back then. So all of this has been circulating on social media, probably since Hulu announced that they were releasing this documentary. But according to reports, a group of prominent black professional women now it's reported that in this group of prominent black professional women, there's a doctor included, there is a lawyer included, and even a judge. So women who are influential in their own right, they are now suing Hulu to block the release of this documentary. So apparently, with some of the videos that are already circling online, they are claiming that it's showing them in an unflattering light and that now they're married with children and they make, you know, upwards of a million dollars. And they want the documentary can. They're like, look, we didn't agree to this. Can it? Now, part of this, I understand the footage was taken. You probably didn't think that it was ever going to see the light of day back then. But here's the thing. And I've really thought about this, right? It's not like it's revenge porn. It's not like two people agreed and said, hey, I'm taking this video in the privacy of my own home and now someone is out releasing it, right? Anyone could have been there. Anyone could have been recording. Anything could have happened. You weren't in the privacy. You weren't even in a private area. It was literally out on the streets of Atlanta. So I understand why some people are like, well, I didn't consent to having been videoed. And then some people are like, look, it's open to interpretation really because you were out on the public street and 
anything could be recorded, right? And we have to think, this is the time before, you know, nowadays where you go into a place and people are filming and there have to be signs that are posted that say, like, by walking into this area, you are agreeing to the fact that you might be recorded, right? That's before we had all of this, right? This is literally the streets of Atlanta and the time of... of in, in our lifetime where camcorders, if you remember, Nicole, back in, in the late 80s, early 90s, camcorders were in people's hands like cell phones are in our hands now. There was always someone at every party with a camera and a camcorder all the time walking around like it was like, do you remember Radio Rahim with the big boom box? It was like that, but it was a camcorder. No exaggeration. There was always someone with a camcorder. Now, I see both sides of this. I do. But as someone who really appreciates uh, documentation of cultural events, I say we got to let this one go. But they're, like I said, apparently in this group of black women who are suing, there is a lawyer and a judge. So I would believe I would venture to say that a lawyer and a judge would know if they had you know grounds to sue. But I just really hope that we get to see this because honestly, I don't necessarily know that it's fair that we are robbed of such cultural greatness. And I'm not saying that Freaknik was great, but being able to document what came of Freaknik. Yes, I understand there's some ratchet behavior and some things that are inappropriate and will never be acceptable. I understand that. However, those things aside, we can't allow some small like, you know, infractions to ruin the fact that it really was a part of our culture for such a long time. Just saying. All right, so we ready for uh, our Let's Talk Through It? Yes, ma'am, let's go. All right, so our first letter is from Erin, and she says, Nicole and Janine, y'all, everyone is worried about this Hulu documentary, but I'm worried about these back-in-the-day Alpha Phi Alpha conventions. I'm a professional now, but back in the day, I was trying to find me a husband at these Alpha conferences, and I was out there, y'all. Wow. But now I'm married to an alpha man. No, we didn't meet at a convention. We met through a mutual friend. At one of the family reunions of his, one of his cousins approached me and said, I look familiar. I tried to play it off and say, no, but I knew who he was. He was this guy that I actually had sex with in a bathroom at one of the national alpha conventions. And then we had sex the next day, too. We text back and forth and talked on the phone a few times, but then I kind of ghosted him because the sex the day after when I was sober wasn't all that good. After our encounter at the reunion, he must have found my number and texted me saying, hey, Aaron, I knew that was you and sent a pic of us hugged up. Now, y'all, it's been years like over five or six years since I was with him and it's it was only briefly. So I couldn't believe he still had my number and my picture. I feel like I'm about to be exposed by my one night cousin Stan. What do I do? Do I just leave the message unread and just not reply? Do I block him? Do I tell my husband? Ladies, what would you do? Aaron. Um, Aaron, you need to tell your husband. Like, you need to tell your husband because here's the thing. I am the kind of person that believes that there is no reason for anyone to have leverage over me. And if you ask my husband, he probably will tell you that I overshare information because 
I have this feeling that I don't want to be the person that does not know something about the person that I'm in a relationship with. And there's somebody in the room or there's a potential to be somebody in the room that will know more about my husband than I do. And that is not okay for me. So I lived in that manner and I would tell him, hey, I didn't know that was your cousin and I had slept with him before. And I would just make it that simple. Like, don't make it a big deal. Just be like, is that your cousin? Like, is that your blood cousin? Well, guess what? I slept with your cousin before. It was before I knew you. It was at an alpha convention. And you make it as insignificant as it really is, right? Like, you're not trying to be with his cousin now. And you didn't even realize that it was his cousin until he sent you a picture with y'all hugged up. Okay, so you slept with the cousin. It's not like you knew that was his cousin and you slept with him after and married him and didn't tell him like you just found out this was his cousin. You can't be held accountable for things that you don't know. And if he wants to throw a little bit of a tantrum, let him because that's fair because you did sleep with his cousin. But like, get over it. Downplay it, girl. Downplay it. Learn to downplay stuff because it's not important. I would tell my husband, I'd be like, hey, King, guess what? So listen, before we were together, I slept with your cousin. I know that was your cousin. Now you can be mad if you want, but like ain't nothing I can do about it now. That's how I would play a girl. So I don't know. It's probably not good advice, but that's literally exactly what I would do. What do you think, Nicole? You know, I'm starting to think we're switching roles and switching perspectives, Janine, because, you know, my approach is always like, honestly, is what you need to do. It's, I always use the direct approach, um, you know, just talk through it. But in this situation, I'm just like, you just got married. He was not at the wedding because you didn't mention that. Which to me means it's not really that close of a cousin. Uh, I would probably block him. I would leave the message on unread and I would block him. I would not. I mean, I would leave well enough alone. There's no reason for me to bring up this relationship of this like probably third cousin that your husband never talks to. And you haven't talked to this man in six years. Like, why am I going to bring that up to my husband to start drama so now every time he's at a family reunion with this man, at what, every five years, he can look at him sideways and realize that his wife has sex with his cousin? Like, no, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm going to leave it unread. I'm going to block him. I might even change my number so he won't have it. But I'm not, mm no. Now, if this is a cousin that like every holiday, like, oh, he was at the wedding. He just didn't say anything to me. He is at Big Mama's house whenever it was Big Mama's birthday. If this is a first cousin, okay, that's a little different, right? But if this is a long lost cousin, like, hey, you my cousin because my grandma and your grandma are cousins and that makes us like fifth cousins. I ain't telling him nothing. I mean, I could have had sex with five of your fifth cousins. Who knows? That's too far down the line. So why are you making, I would not make a big deal about the situation. I would just block him and act like I didn't know anything. And if he brought it up to my husband and said, you know what, back in the day I was with your girl, I would then play it off and say, who, him? Oh, I didn't even remember him. It was so little I couldn't even remember. Did I? Did I? I don't know. Let me remember. Nope. That's what I would do. I would not. Listen, if it was obviously insignificant to her, it wasn't even that good. She ghosted him afterwards. She don't even remember the little tiny thing. I would not bring it up. Why are you bringing up something? If they had like a long relationship, like they were together for like a year, you know, 
or, you know, you met this man's parents or he met your parents. It, okay. That's sort of significant. You had, you got, you had a good time at the alpha conference. You met somebody, you hooked up with somebody. You don't even remember this name. Like, come on. He brought up, he sent a picture. Like, how desperate is he? Like, he's bringing up a picture from, that's like six freaking years old. Like, I know I got the good, good, and I had that kind of effect. But guess what? I didn't remember who you were. So, no, I would not tell my husband anything. Why? He's not even close to this man. He wouldn't get the wedding. Listen, don't let Janine ruin your marriage. This is not the time. Listen, this is not the time. This is not a close family member. He's he's, he's insignificant. Girl, this acting that you just did with this. Wait, did I? I, 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 Are you sure? Hold on. Let me check. Let me make sure. (laughs) Girl, I was dying in tears. Like I was rolling. But here's the thing. I just don't have it in me because this is what I would be thinking. I don't want these two, these two bros over here. I know they're cousins, but you know what I mean. I don't want them having no conversations about me behind my back. So I don't know if they know and they just waiting for, I don't know any of that. And to be very honest with you, no, I don't really care. I just am the kind of person where, look, I'm going to give you the information and you can do with it what you will. Here's the info. I don't slept with this dude. Okay. There is nothing I can do about it now. And I did not do it as a, as in, a way of intentionally placing harm on you. I did not even know that y'all were related. I have no idea. This is the first time I've even seen this dude with you. So how was I supposed to know? You ain't never talk about Cousin Pookie. Like, it is what it is. And honestly, I think that if I wasn't married and it wasn't your husband, I think, yeah, maybe I wouldn't tell him. But the fact that y'all are married, like, what's he going to do, divorce you? Why did you divorce your wife? Oh, because she slept with my cousin. Oh, she cheated on you? No, she didn't cheat on me. She slept with my cousin like 15 years ago. Now you sound dumb, dude. Like you sound silly. So I don't know. That's just me. But hold on. If it, th- that's my point. If it's not going to make a difference because he's going to sound silly for getting mad, then again, why tell him? And, and the real question is, is your husband supposed to know everybody you've had sex with in the past? Sure. Like, do you go down the list and say, you know, I had sex with three people. And you know that Drake said that means multiply times three, right? So I had sex with nine people. Like, these are the people. Do you know any of these people? No, you're not going to do that. So <laughs> leave it alone. Yeah, no, I'm going to keep that. I'll keep that out of my house. So that's some type of drama I don't need to bring to my husband unless it made a difference in this situation. No difference. But yeah, anyway, but what if the cousin says like, hey, I slept with your I slept with your girl at the alpha convention. I knocked that down and I slept with her again. I don't <laughs> remember. I don't remember that. He was listen, babe, if I did sleep with your cousin, the D wasn't memorable. <laughs> Let me just say that it wasn't memorable. I don't remember that. I was tipsy. <laughs> All right, Janine. So what does your letter read? This one says, hi, ladies, Kate here, writing in from Lexington for some advice. I'm ashamed to even admit some of this, but I wanted to get past it and I needed some sound advice. I am 37 years old and I recently got engaged to my boyfriend of seven years. I love him with all of my heart. He's been with me through thick and thin. He even stuck with me through my family's drama about our relationship. And then in parentheses, she said, he's black and I'm white. I couldn't imagine my life without him. And I'm over the moon. I can't wait to become Mrs. Jackson. I don't know how else to phrase this, but my fiance knows that my family is a bit prejudiced and that my father is a bit of a racist. 
But he doesn't really know that before I moved to Houston after college, I was just like them. I'm not at all like that anymore. I have strayed from my redneck upbringing and I see people for who they are now. Even some of my family is even some of my family is slowly starting to come around. The issue is my brother, who is hardcore MAGA guy, hates my boyfriend and has threatened to show him a family video from a Klan rally that we all attended when I was young. I want to be honest with my fiance, but I don't want him to know about this. How can I avoid him ever finding out about this? Signed, Kate. Woo. Uh, you can't. Um, what's done in the dark will come to the light. You need to be honest with your fiance. I think that everybody has the right to know that if they marry in the family, they could potentially be lynched. So um, I think that you need to let him know as soon as possible. This is the deal. He has the right to make his own open and informed decision about whether he wants to marry into a family that is outwardly racist. And to your point, you were also once wearing the robe of KKK men with the eyes cut out. So I feel like you really need to let him know. I'm not really sure what your intentions are all of a sudden of wanting to marry a black man. And how did you hide him from your family this long? Like, has your family even met him at all? Has your brother met him at all? I mean, your fiance has to have some clue that your family is racist. Like, seriously, he has to know. But what you don't want to do is, one, you've been delivered to from your racism, but the rest of your family hasn't. And now all of a sudden, your husband or soon-to-be husband gets injured by one of your family members that's racist or a friend of the family that's racist. So you owe it to him to not have him unknowingly, at least, in harm's way. And I would say not to have him in harm's way. Like, if you're not racist and you know your family's racist, you need to then separate from your family. Like, don't bring him over there. That's how you really know that you are not racist. Because what birds of a feather... They flock together. So if you hee hee ha ha over there with your family and you love your brother because that's your brother, but then you're marrying this black man who your family hates. Now, what does that say about your love for your husband or your soon-to-be husband? You can't love him and hate him at the same time. So you can't love people that hate him. Like, it doesn't go that way. So, of course, you need to tell him and you really need to put your big girl draws on and really make a decision. And I'm not, I don't ever tell people they have to choose between their spouse and their family. Cause I don't think anybody should have to do that, but this is not choosing between your spouse and your family. This is choosing between what's right and what's wrong. This is choosing between your family and their past and what you want your future to look like. And so if you are still hanging and, and uh, spending time with people who are obviously racist, then what does that say? to the amount of respect you have for your soon-to-be husband. So I think you need to make some decisions about your family. They have they have shown you who they are. Now you need to believe them and you need to say, hey, listen, I am not this person anymore. And because I know that you are still these types of people, I am going to dissociate myself because I love my husband and I am not a person that is racist. So you got some big decisions to make and it's a big step to step away from your family. But if you're not that anymore, then the only way to show that is for you to take a step away from them and not communicate with them anymore. And for heaven's sake, don't have him over there because that can be dangerous. You got one 
black guy over there with your whole racist KKK family in backwoods of Kentucky? Oh, no, uh-uh. You, you don't love him if you bring him over there. Point blank, I said what I said. Nicole, I agree with you. Um, I think that we, it seems like he probably knows that your family is racist. So he probably has a sneaking suspicion that you probably at some point were a little bit racist too. But I will say this, the fact that you're writing us about this makes me believe that you really do want to do something about it. Well, at least I hope, because I hope that you wouldn't waste our time if you didn't. But here's my thing. You have to tell your husband that you went to a Klan rally. That's a thing. That is literally a thing. And it's and you need to be prepared for the fact that he might want to not be your husband anymore. Like y'all not married yet. That's something that you have to grapple with. Like to Nicole's point, you have to remember that like your clan family could have potentially killed and strung his family up from a tree. That's huge. That's traumatic. That's triggering. That's a lot of things. And you have to be honest, you cannot go into a marriage and not say this. So you're asking us, how do you make sure that he doesn't find out? No, you tell him just like the first letter I said, y'all tell him, tell him, let him make his own decisions. Tell this man, hey, my family has a clan video. You know how my brother is. He's threatening to show it. Yeah, I was a, it was a clan. It was young. Whatever your excuse was, whatever it, it I don't even want to call it an excuse, whatever transformation, show him the work that you've done to not be that person anymore. But you have to tell him that you used to be in a clan rally. I mean, you should just come clean about that in general, because not just him, but like if the video gets out like this is something I don't know what kind of job you have, but like that's seems to be something that could possibly be a fireable offense. I don't know. You have to tell your husband, you do not want to, your fiance, you do not want to start a marriage with this man knowing that this is something that is a huge deal and not say anything. Like, girl, you were, you were at a Klan rally. That's not little. Like, that's something that you, you, you need full disclosure. All right, Janine. So what did you learn new this week? Okay, so I learned that Freaknik, the name, came from a blend of Picnic and Freak. And you're wondering, like, why was it Picnic and Freak? Well, the D.C. Metro Club, the theme for 8283 was Return of the Freak. So because that was their theme, they had a Return of the Freak picnic, y'all. And here we have Freaknik. Shout out to the D.C. Metro Club. D.C. always be putting people on the map. I'm just saying. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? So, uh, first of all, I did learn about the DC Metro Club and I just thought, isn't that a cool thing? Like, hey, it's really expensive to go back there. People that have cars like that, like talking about weren't like flights for used to be super. People aren't flying anywhere back in like the early 80s, early 90s. Like you were like driving. So people didn't have money like that to be flying back home. And these college people just got like real creative on HBCU Row. So I'm here for that. That is awesome. Now, I did learn that the non-HBCU promoters were the people that sort of turned it out, right? So Freaknik used to be like sort of wholesome, right? Like there's a career fair there, job fair, uh, little, you know, talent shows and things like that. And then these two like non-HBCU promoters said, we're going to trademark this. We're going to make some money off this and we're going to put a K at the end of this thing. 
instead of a C. So then Freak Nick became Freak Nick with a K and got turned out. And then it had like over 300,000 people attending these events. So that's really when it went from, hey, let's kumbaya and have some talent shows and, you know, get some DJs here and, you know, find a job, talk about job networking to like, nope, we turning it out and we going to have hundreds of thousands of people there. That's all I'm saying. Now, what the HBCUs should have trademarked themselves and capitalized on this, and then they could have probably kept it a little bit more contained than it ended up becoming. But just saying. All right. So are you ready for the motivational moment? Let's do it. And the motivational moment comes from me. And it says, ladies, don't be out here doing freaky, nasty stuff that will come out later. Remember, this is the age of technology, which will only advance as time goes on. Make sure to hide your goodies so that they're not immortalized in a way that you don't want them to be. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Bye. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.